0: One of the most alarming findings, at least for me, was that 50% of U.S. healthcare workers say that they are either at their breaking point or looking for new work due to the stress and trauma that they endure. And in the last four months, nearly half, 46% of physicians in the U.S. report consuming alcohol or controlled substances up to 12 hours before their shift, and that one in seven, 14%, admit to consuming alcohol or controlled substances while at work. You're listening to Inside Mental Health a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Gabe Howard, and calling into the show today, we have Dr. Philip Hempill. Dr. Hempill is a celebrated expert with 30 years of experience in the behavioral health and addictive service industry. He currently maintains a faculty position at LSU Health Services Department of Psychiatry. Dr. Hempill, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Gabe. Wonderful to be here.
0: Much of our conversation today is going to be informed by the All Points North State of Mental Health American Healthcare Workers Report. That report discovered that high levels of substance abuse, critical mental health crises, and stigma exist within the healthcare industry. Now, before getting to those findings, can you tell us who APN is and how that report comes together? Sure. APN
1: stands for All Points North. We're a behavioral health and addiction platform. That stretches across the telehealth spectrum. Um, Also doing, we're located uh, across the country in different cities, uh, but our main facility is in Edwards, Colorado. So this information was collected on a a web platform. So we enlisted the support of uh, researchers who adhere to some pretty strict guidelines with regards to how they collect the data, the individuals that they uh, reach out to for potential participation, and how they process the data and how they maintain the confidentiality of the data. You know, we know that the individuals have to have some exposure to the web, uh, which this day and age is pretty common for most people. Uh, They have to want to respond to these particular questions. It is totally voluntary. Um, then they have to be honest with us about the types of things that they uh, they share with us.
0: Thank you, Doctor Hempel. I, I really appreciate that. You know, so often we hear about, oh, there was a study done, and then like in the really, really small print, you're like, I asked three of my friends. It's like that's, yeah. that's not a study. Uh, so I, I really like to let our listeners know that what we have on the show is 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 robust and is meaningful because it. It informs the conversation moving forward. And speaking of which, the most alarming finding, at at least for me, was that over 50% of healthcare workers, that's that's over half, that's just a startling number reported that they were at their breaking point because of the stress caused by their jobs. How can any industry survive if half the people are so stressed out they want to leave? Let's not even get into the life or death matter of, I would feel this way if 50% of construction workers were at their breaking point and they don't have life in their hands.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really tragic today in our society that people are under extreme amounts of stress and healthcare is just one sector of our society. When we look at these particular responses, uh, the first thing is the platform involves physicians, nurses, physical therapists, a number of healthcare providers across the the spectrum. In the healthcare industry, we've seen this tremendous buildup of uh, need and capacity and then we've seen the intensification of the actual conditions that people are presenting with, or they've had to stay out of uh, the the systems until more recently after the pandemic. Here, as we move into uh, post pandemic, uh, then we see this this floodgate open of uh, this need. So the system has been flooded with individuals, and quite frankly, going from a state where there's a high acuity but low numbers. To the point now that there's huge numbers, as well as the acuity of the individuals. So I think that uh, the stressors that the healthcare industry is experiencing is not so unlike other sectors of our society. And uh, you know we sometimes forget that despite the work that healthcare workers are are uh, providing the whole entire population and being open to the whole entire population, they are human beings as well.
0: Almost equally startling was that nearly half, 46% of physicians in the U.S. reported consuming alcohol or using a controlled substance up to 12 hours before their shift. And one in seven, about 14%, admitted to consuming alcohol or using a controlled substance while at work. Now, as a mental health advocate, I, I see that as as self-medicating. They're They're trying to for lack of a better phrase, uh, calm themselves down, handle their business, make it through to the next moment. But the patient in me, the the consumer, for lack of a better word, in me is like, wait a minute, my, my, my doctor is drinking and using drugs before treating me. Where does that work itself out? Why is this okay if we're aware that this is happening? It doesn't seem like there's any huge push to do anything about it.
1: Well, I do think that this is alarming. And there has been this call to action by uh, numerous organizations. The government has even gotten involved. I mean, the Surgeon General released a report around this. The college uh, uh, physicians released a national plan for health well-being. Uh, there's been resources collectively trying to address this broad concern. And it is alarming. That is alarming.
0: Now, I'm not a doctor, and I don't work in the healthcare industry. But one of the things that struck me is, okay, the the physicians, healthcare workers, they can't believe that this behavior is okay. And in fact, that that's true. Many of them do realize that something has to give, they're going to make a mistake, but they don't want to seek help. And the reason that they don't want to seek help is not arrogance or ego, it's fear. Uh, 23% reported they're afraid of losing their license, which is of course, their livelihood. Uh, 23% reported that they're concerned that their family and their colleagues will judge them. And 32% reported that look, it's not that they're unwilling to get help, they just simply don't have time. In that kind of environment, how can anybody expect to move forward and get the help that they need to to resolve this issue? I, I think those are very reasonable fears in any industry. And I can see the anti being even more so for, for the healthcare industry.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the the process of training and the healthcare system is one that a uh, great demands of individuals. And it has a culture that has been needing to make some shifts for a long period of time. Shifts in the fact that uh, people have difficulties, people have needs, individuals have uh, stressors in their life. There's a life cycle that everyone goes through. In addition to that, there's an employment life cycle. There's a life cycle within uh, an organization. There's uh, all of these things have an impact and an influence over the culture of the work environment. And this adds to the individual who has already gone through their professional pathway, making a decision early in life, making a commitment, being the brightest, being expected to to do things and and perform uh, with the lack of uh, sleep, the lack of uh, attention to oneself, the impact that these may have on their own uh, relationships. So there's an indoctrination that takes place in the healthcare industry do no harm, put the others first, these types of things. So then when we're called to say, what what happens when you need help? I mean, a lot of healthcare professionals are just not really good patients uh, in general, including myself, just not the best patient. It's hard to get feedback. It's hard to take direction. It's hard to fully sort of admit to that, I can't really do my job. Um, And for the most part, healthcare, become, people get, you know, really proficient in their skills in healthcare. It's all the other things that start to make contributions to the difficulty. So they can still function quite well from a skill standpoint, but it's the other things that start to crumble around the individual. Uh, and there's a lot of fear. There's still a tremendous amount of stigma uh, around yeah. reaching out, asking for help, asking for assistance, um, you know, and there's been, Again, a lot of attention paid in the last couple of years with conferences, education, resources, reaching out to these individuals. But you're right, there's a a tremendous fear of judgment. There's a tremendous fear that I'll lose my livelihood, my license, there's not uh, organizations out there to assist me. And they're starting to have a lot more push into what we call safe havens where not only are the healthcare organizations and institutions supporting the healthcare workers, but also the licensing bodies are creating uh, what we call safe havens where people can receive support. Uh, Now that's moderated because it has to come with an assessment to make sure that uh, people are still safe enough to practice their craft and not be a, a threat or a risk to the public.
0: But I still really get back to this. I don't want to go to a doctor that's in harm's way. I don't want to go to a doctor that's that's abusing drugs and alcohol. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me, Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder.
1: Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com
0: IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. And we're back discussing the alarming rate of substance abuse within the healthcare industry with Dr. Philip Hemphill. I don't want to go to a doctor that's so stressed out they're having a mental health crisis. I don't want to go to a doctor or, or, or any healthcare professional who is aware that they need help but is afraid to get it, yet... That is what I have to do, especially in an emergency. I'm not picking my healthcare workers. I'm dialing 911 and whoever is available is going to help me. So I really think that the public needs to be really, really aware of this and really approach it from this idea of when you are in crisis, healthcare workers save you. And when you're in crisis, you don't get to shop around. How do we get the general public to understand that?
1: Yeah, that's... Um... Again, that's the overarching stigma that exists. There's a huge amount of energy that pushes behind stigma. Uh, Even though people are coming out in record numbers to seek uh, mental health services, uh, substitute services, there's still tremendous stigma. So that's where some of the barrier is with coming forward and acknowledging us. I can't necessarily speak for the public because I've been providing healthcare services my entire career. I have to sort of stay focused on what I can do day in and day out. The individuals, the the clinicians that I can lead, the individuals that I can work with and have impact on, the systems that I can develop and support, to build out, to, to assist more and more people, uh, you know, so those are the things I've had to focus on. Of course, as a behavioral health, mental health provider, in the public sphere, I get lots of questions, people sort of, you know, sort of testing me in the public with regards to, you know, how do you do that? I can't believe you do that, or what is it like, and just those types of things. So I think there's uh, become less and less of a mystery around behavioral health and substance use disorder, but there is still a cloud over it.
0: As you said, there is stigma everywhere in our society. It's it, it's not just on healthcare professionals. It's not just on physicians. It, it's on everybody from from truck drivers to law enforcement to cleaning folks and 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 and. Fast food workers and everybody in between, there is always somebody that rolls their eyes at it and just doesn't want people to get the help that they need. We know that there's a lot of stigma in society, but let's talk about how healthcare workers are speaking to each other and supporting each other. What have you seen? What's the internal dialogue to help fix this problem from one healthcare worker to another?
1: I think the realization of humanity and people just turning to each other across the room and asking them how they are doing on a day-to-day basis. Using strategies for health and healing in the workplace and having people try to do more primary or secondary preventive activity with each other, as opposed to waiting in a tertiary sense where after the fact that the person has either burned out or the person has uh, had a difficulty where they have to be removed. You know, like recently I worked with someone who talked about being on call for uh, 21 days straight and working night shift, 21 days straight. This is like, uh, tremendous. And part of it is the individual, part of it is the system. And so the opportunity to have a better conversation about what's happening in the system that's taking away from this peer support and, you know, what in the leadership, what in the organization can we do? to sort of better support the healthcare workers. At the same time, uh, individuals, uh, you know, being on a team. You know, you mentioned the word team earlier, Dave, when you are talking about you You put things out 24-7, 365. The key word that you said is that you had a team. You had a team of people, people you could rely on. Not everybody had to always be on 100% of the time. We could sort of look across the, the hall. We could look across the table, look across the desk it um, feel like you're a part of something. You're a part of a team. People are gonna support each other. They're gonna sort of be there for each other. They're gonna ask about how you're doing. The need in, in healthcare is the humanity and the need for rest and recovery and care
0: you know, I really loved everything that you said about the team support and, and checking in with each other and supporting one another. And, and I agree. I think that it's fantastic. But one of the things that I also heard in there is that one of the physicians had been on call for 21 days. I don't know that anybody can survive being on call for 21 days. And my specific question there is, is who who gave him that schedule? Our, our hospital systems, our, our employers, for lack of a better word, doing more to make sure that people aren't on call for three weeks. It just it just seems like you're setting people up to fail.
1: Yeah, it was a combination of events that led to that. But the individual didn't really feel like he could reach out and make some changes. But, you know, there's people that get sick. There's people that call in. There's all these different needs. The healthcare system is incredibly stressed right now. There's a, a need for so many more healthcare workers. So, uh, you know, at times the stretch may be like that. I mean, during the pandemic, during the crisis, people were working like that. That was not uncommon. And post crisis, again, we have a, a dearth of uh, providers, there's a need for more providers. And there's a need for a better responsivity by leadership, by organizations, or some form of tracking to say, wait a minute, this is like too many in a row here. Something's going on, something's going to give. There's a need to, I understand you think you can do this, but we're not going to let you do that.
0: One of the things that I'm thinking about while you're talking, Dr. Hempill, is that my father is a retired semi-truck driver, drove the 18-wheeler. And as a CDL license holder, there were rules. He had to keep log books. He was only allowed to drive so many hours a day. There's this very rigid set of laws that determines how much my father could drive a semi-truck for the public safety. And I, I want to tell everybody, My father cannot spell the word surgery, let alone do surgery. He's not making life or death decisions. He's just driving a 10, 15, 20 ton truck, but the government has seen the wisdom for lack of a better word in making sure that he doesn't fall asleep at the wheel. Are there similar laws to prevent physicians and healthcare workers from working 10, 15, 20, 24 hour shifts that again, would put them in the position of working with the public when they may, again, for lack of a better word, you know, flip over their semi?
1: Sure, sure. No, absolutely. These things go back uh, many years that during the training process, uh, there was some adverse uh, outcomes. And so therefore, there was a need to put in some rules and guidelines for training, uh, those things are part of the training process by uh, the American College of Medical Education. So those things are in existence during the training process. But once you get out into the actual sphere of working, sometimes people make decisions. Individuals make decisions. Now, there are systems in place. They have guidelines. They have policies. They have procedures. Just like uh, your father, who is essentially what we call a safety-sensitive worker, There are different rules and processes that apply for substance use or mental health issues related to people who have safety-sensitive positions, because what we're talking about here is protecting the public health, protecting the public good, and airline pilots, truck drivers, all of these things that you had mentioned, including positions, obviously, in in safety-sensitive positions. Uh, So, yes, there are guidelines for these things. But at the same time, individual systems get stressed, and sometimes they sort of don't follow those guidelines and rules.
0: Dr. Hempel, thank you so much for being here. Where can folks find more information about you online?
1: Well, you can go to the APN.com, and I'm listed there uh, as one of the leaders. I'm the chief clinical officer, but you can find out about the resources that are available, and you can have access to me.
0: Big thank you to all of our listeners as well. My name is Gabe Howard and I am the author of Mental Illness Is an Asshole and Other Observations. I'm also an award-winning public speaker who could be available for your next event. My book is on Amazon or you can grab a signed copy with free show swag or learn more about me by heading over to gabehoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. It is absolutely free. Do me a favor, recommend the show to a friend, a family member, or a colleague. Hell, send a text, do whatever you can because referring the show is how we grow. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening.